In Job chapter 1, we, are, we started our Sunday evening study this morning, amen? <laughs> and I hope it was a blessing. Tonight we're going to dig a little deeper. I have a lot of material, and there's no way we're going to get it done, so I'll just do as much as I can, and then we'll stop, okay? So don't worry. But we're not studying Job. That's the unique thing. We're going to be looking through the book of Job and probably do one chapter a Sunday night. And some of the chapters are kind of intense, and there's a lot to them, so we may take two Sundays or whatever. But we're going to sample the, the, uh, the, the, the realities of the characteristics of God, because Job's looking for some answers. Why and, and, and everything. But God reveals himself because in, in, in the big scheme of things, answers don't satisfy. Jesus does. Okay, In a personal relationship, that, that he sort of just can calm the storm. You say, why is there a storm? Jesus didn't explain why a storm came up. He just said, I'm here. So let's go to Job. And uh, we're in chapter 1. Will you stand with me, please? We're going to read verses 20 and 21. Just like we did this morning. We'll read aloud for the, uh, stand for the reading of God's word with me. Just two verses. Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. We'll read aloud together. Begin. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, now we're going back, as I said this morning, we're going back about 2,000 years before Christ, which would be 4,000 years before us. 2000 BC to a time, as I said, when, if you've ever heard this phrase, this is the time when it actually comes through when all hell breaks loose in the life of a good man named Job. Now it all happened in, in an area called the land of Uz, as, as I, as I uh, showed you this morning on the map. We're not going to go over it uh, like we did this morning, but it all happened in this land of Uz, east of, of Israel, uh, about 500 miles, north of where Ur the Chaldees is, where uh, Abraham came from. But in the land of Uz, a disaster strikes. And, and, and an entire book is written and put in the canon of our scriptures by the Jewish uh, uh, believers. And, and it's a book about um, a disaster that, that you, you, when you read about it, you just there's no way to compare our lives to it. As a matter of fact, God allows sometimes extreme things to happen in some people's lives so that whatever we go through, we can learn from it. Because if everybody just had little bitty problems, we wouldn't care. But when somebody has such an extreme event, there's a lot of things coming together that God is in control of, that he wants us to learn from. And so Job is one of those things. And I believe when you read the book of Job, and if you just read it as written, you'll find that this book is, is, uh, uh, is one of the masterpieces of all time. It is the greatest book on affliction and suffering. It powerfully describes the deepest of feelings and thoughts when we're in the loneliest and most abandoned of times. Sooner or later, we will all identify with Job. You may be young, handsome, good-looking, got lots of money, but there will be a time when all hell will break loose and you'll lose everything. It is a way of life, even as a Christian. 
Some people, as I said this morning, some people get saved thinking, now I won't have any problems. You are so in for a rude awakening. <laughs> the book of Job answers the hardest of questions. It really does. It doesn't answer it like we expect, but we'll talk about it. Like, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't mind my enemy tripping. I don't mind my enemy, his car tire getting flat, amen? I just wonder why my flat, my tire gets flat, amen, you know? Uh, why does tragedy strike those who love God the most? I think that's such a hurtful thing. You see somebody who's trying to love God, trying to serve God, and something happens. Why do good, why do the good die young? Why is heaven so silent so much? And why does it seem like Satan is winning? Those things were all answered and more in the book of Job. Now, when you come to the book of Job, you're actually not supposed to learn just about Job. You're supposed to learn what God is like. That's the thing. And there are some times when you ought to just go out and just look in the sky and the stars and see how big everything is. It goes, right, the guy, the God who made everything. Boy, I just want to know him. Because he's got something going here. And he, he, he makes everything work. And uh, so Job is going to show us when nothing makes sense that there's a God who's making it make sense. So, um, I'm not sure why that's all. Okay, go back. Now, let's be honest. Um, uh, Job went through a week of the most horrendous suffering. He experienced the sudden loss of everything he had worked so hard to build, burying ten children, uh, covered from head to toe with uh, boils that were inflamed and were, uh, he had, in order to have any kind of relief, he's popping them open. I mean, there's an awful thing to think about. Just, just his constant fever drained every bit of energy from him. His wife has walked away from him. And then in, the, in the, the worst thing is coming from a time when he was so wealthy and so well off to where he had nothing and nobody. We, 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 we can a little bit relate to him, but it, there's no way you could come in there and say, I understand how Job felt. But that wasn't even the end. He actually had to endure three friends show up who came in with total insensitivity, kept pointing the finger at him saying, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> and and that, that, just, that just like a mallet, just like a hammer, like a nail drove him deeper and deeper into depression. If, if you've ever had somebody in your life that constantly found fault with you, constantly saw everything wrong with you, you have a little bit of feeling of how Job felt. And uh, as I've said before, uh, there are times when your whole life is going to fall apart. And it's very important that you have Job mastered before then. Because, it, to be honest, Job's faith wavered. There are times when he didn't want to continue to live. There are time, there's times where he says, I wish I'd never been born. He just, when he's arguing with his friends, he says, I wish you all would just leave. It was just, it was just so hard on him. And he's not standing there saying, folks, let's believe God. God will work everything out. He struggled. He's not Superman. When you have real people in the Bible, you see it. These aren't people that had Teflon, you know, they didn't wear, um, uh, uh, a, 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 an aura about them that just made them seem like they were superhuman. They were very human. But the truth about Job was he never cursed God. He never blamed God. He never looked and says, God, 
you did wrong by allowing this. He just said, Lord, I'd like to know why. So, now, when we get to chapter 1 here, let me give you a quick summary of chapter 1, because it's just simple, all right? We are first introduced to Job and his family. Let's read chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, okay? I'll read out loud. You just follow along there. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. I mean, you know, who knows what eschewed means? It's not talking about chewing, chewing gum. Uh, Marcus. Well, okay, we use that thing where, yeah, if you ever got evil, you'd spit it out. But eschewed means, in simple words, he rejected evil. He didn't tolerate it. Okay? He, he rejected it. He, he threw it out. Okay? Verse 2. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep. Now, I've never seen a sheep farm with that many sheep. Have you? Seven thousand sheep. Three thousand camels. Five hundred yoke of oxen. How many, how big is a, uh, an oxen? Now, an ox, I mean, if you can imagine a cow, all right, double that thing, and you're getting close to the size of an ox, and he had, um, he had 500 yoke, which means there were a thousand, because the yoke is two of them. He had a thousand ox, uh, and 500 she asses, and a very great household, meaning he had loads of servants, so that this man was the greatest of all men of the east of the day. His sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. So I don't know if they were had birthdays all one after another. I don't know. But they would go from one house and then and they would celebrate one one guy's day and they'd go to another house and celebrate another uh, special day. And they would call to the sisters, let's have a party. Verse 5, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent, and he's worried about them, he sanctified them. Now he... In that day, they didn't have a temple. They didn't have uh, the Jewish priestly system. A father was the priest. A father was responsible for making sure that the kids were right with God and they stayed right with God. And it says, as they kind of are, we still are today, but in more so in those days, that Job sent and sanctified them, which means he kept cleansing them. And, and he rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings, according to the number of them all. So he's offering ten lambs, maybe, Every day, for Job is worried. He says this, It may be that my sons have sinned and they've cursed God in their hearts. And thus did God, this Job, continually. So he's not saying that what they were doing was wrong, but he said, you know what, my sons are very well off, which is true. If, if, if one person gets very wealthy and his children are inheriting that wealth, it's hard for those kids to ever appreciate that wealth, right? And it's very easy to be spoiled. So he's worried that they're looking at God saying, God, I don't need you. That's what it means to curse God, by the way. You don't have to actually blaspheme God and call him names to curse him. All you have to do to curse God is to say, I don't need you, which is what this entire world is saying. So so the first thing we have is we're introduced to Job and his family. Is it a perfect family? No. Number two, then we move to a scene in heaven where God shows off Job's character and integrity and accepts Satan's challenge to get Job, to try to get Job to curse God. So let's read verse 6 now. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. 
The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Well, if you've been everywhere, hast thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth. And watch how he describes what's in verse 1. He says, A perfect man. An upright man. One that feareth God. Fears me and eschews evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Wait a minute. Doth God fear, doth Job fear God for nothing? There's a, there's a reason why he fears you. You, you, you kind of, it's a bribe, Lord. Look at verse nine, verse 10. Hast thou not made an hedge about him? As if implying, you won't let me at him. You've got a wall around him. Let me at him, and I'll show you how much he'll curse you to your face. Watch, verse 10. Hast thou not made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, you're on. <laughs> Challenge accepted. All that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put forth not thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So we're now, we've gone from a, a serene, peaceful, sunny day. Everything's working like clockwork. Job's spiritually minded. He's worrying about his family. He's concerned about it. But everything's basically okay to up in heaven. And a war is about to be fought. We come down now in verse 13. And we, we watch as Job loses everything you could ever lose. Look in verse 13. There was a day when Job's sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger unto Job. I can imagine this man is running, and he comes in, and he's he's exhausted, and he's 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 just he's just shocked, and he says, "The oxen were plowing, and the asses were gently feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans, an army group from the south, fell upon them." They came upon us without warning, and they took them all away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So first thing, his, his oxen, his asses, his donkeys are taken away. Verse 16, and while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now, that is amazing because the only thing I could think of is like a volcano erupted in a huge glob of lava. A fire, the only other time in the Bible where the fire of God fell was when? Okay, uh, true, it would fall on the altar, uh, but also in Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is an unnatural event. This just shouldn't happen. So he's like, there was fire that came out of the sky and just burned up. We've got, how many sheep was it? 7,000? Am I right? Yep. 7,000. That's a lot of fire. All the sheep are gone. The servants there, verse 17, while he yet spake, uh, uh, was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the Chaldeans, another army, made out three bands. They surrounded us and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in thy eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, maybe a tornado, and smote all four sides of the house, the four corners of the house, 
and it fell upon your children, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So you've gone from nice day, great start, to a scene in heaven, to now the disaster. And then you hear, in verse 21, you hear Job. Look at verse 20. Then Job arose, and he rent his mantle. Now his mantle is a is a very, uh, um, he's a very wealthy man, and so he's wearing wealthy clothes. And he says, this matters nothing to me. And he rips it. It's ruined. And he shaved his head. And he fell down upon the ground and what? Now, how quick are you to worship when you lose? All right? Now, if I play Nita and we're playing uh, Scrabble and I lose, I just say, that's enough. (laughs) I don't want to keep playing. But Job worshipped when he lost. So, verse 21, and he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord had taken away. And I'll say it, he says, Blessed be, not the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. To him, God's name had not, his character had not changed. He not, he didn't say, Oh man, and now cursed is the name of the Lord. God did this to me. Because verse 22 says, In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged or blamed God foolishly. So there is more. You would admit there's more going on than just Job's suffering. So that's where we're going to go because through this, God reveals himself. All right, so what is God, the God of Job, like? And I'm going to take you back through some of these verses. We'll have to stop. Um, But uh, I want to show you what God, the God of Job, is like. Number one, go back to verse one. And I want you to see that God is the pattern to follow. Because I want you to see verse 1. You're going to see four characteristics of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was, number one, perfect. Number two, upright. Three, one that feared God and eschewed evil. So when I say he's the pattern to follow, what Job is, and I'm not going to go real deep on this thing, what Job's life is doing is it's reflecting the character of God. We call it in the New Testament godliness. You know what godliness means? God-likeness. So, um, I'll say it this way. Job was not living naturally. Job's way of living, here we're going to understand the word perfect in a minute, perfect, upright, fearing God, and eschewing, rejecting evil, is not normal. Because outside of God's influences... Outside of a godly mother, outside of a Bible-preaching pastor, outside of somebody coming at you and giving you a gospel tract, telling you you're lost, you need to get born again, outside of God interrupting your life, you will not care about morality. Amen? That's why we have Garda. (laughs) That's why we have laws and courts. Because naturally, if we could get away with it, we would live like animals. Amen? If you could get away with it, you would get into bed with as many other people as possible and as often as possible. And that's what's happening today. The more they get away with God, the more they become like a zoo. Amen? If you could get away with it, you would steal from your boss, you would steal from the government, you would steal from society as much as you could carry every day if you could get away with it. 
Yet here's Job, a wealthy man who got wealthy through hard work and by being honest and by being a man of integrity. And that is not natural. Usually rich people get rich wrongly. Amen. That's why they, that's why the, the, the revenue always goes after and they try to find how'd you get that money? Because most people do it underhandedly. But here Job, unusually, unnaturally did it the right way. Job doesn't live according to his own morality. He's measuring his goodness according, not according to other people. What is the problem with me comparing my goodness with your goodness or with your goodness or with your good? What's wrong with that? Hmm? I can't hear you. Well, we're not good enough, but what, what would be wrong? Don't people do that? Well, I'm not as bad as Barry. I'm not as bad as Marcus for sure. Bill, <laughs> you make me feel good every day. <laughs> amen. <laughs> I thought I'd get an amen out of that. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is that that means nothing. That's like a bunch of criminals saying, well, I'm not bad as Joe over here. You know, Joe robbed three banks. I only robbed one. You see, we start to measure ourselves amongst ourselves. We're not wise. So who is Job measuring himself by? God. All right. So God is the pattern to follow. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18, we don't have time, but I'll quote it here. It says, but we all, talking about believers, with an open face. Now, you see these people today, and they're increasing in numbers. They have a veil over their face. They're called burkas. And I'm surprised that when they get their driver's license, when they have to go and, and interview, they don't have to take that off so that you can see who are they. But here, when we stand before God and we stand before the Bible, we have no veil, we have no hiding. It says, we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of who? Who do you think that we're looking at when we're reading the Bible? Ourselves? We see the glory of the Lord. Watch this verse. We are changed as we see Jesus. We are changed into the same image. That's why you read your Bible. Because as you read it, as you love it, as you obey it, as you trust it, it changes you into more like the author. All right. So Job didn't have scripture. And yet he accomplished more than we do with 15 Bibles in your house and on your phone. Uh so, he's the pattern to follow. So, I want you to see, number two, God is absolutely perfect. Would you agree with that? If Job can, can be identified, he's a perfect man. Then I know God is all perfect. Now, I know that Job was not sinlessly perfect. But I can tell you this, he was right with God. To be perfect means that there was no sin on his account. Amen. It means that he had been justified. He's offering sacrifices for his son. Believe me, he had already given a sacrifice for his own sins, which made him justified, which made him forgiven, which made it so that God had no record anymore of his sins. Is that good? I did that 39 years ago. I brought a sacrifice. The name was Jesus, who had died for me, and I claimed that sacrifice, and God made me perfect. I've been trying to convince my wife I've been perfect ever since. It doesn't work. Anyway... 
Job's state, the statement about Job being perfect only reflects the fact that God himself is absolutely perfect. As a matter of fact, that's not a phrase that's just thrown around. Genesis chapter 6 says these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, justified, and perfect in his generations. So God uses these words to describe Abraham, Genesis 17, and when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to him and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So, I, I can't be perfect, but I can be without a record. I can be perfected. So, um, uh, I thought, of, uh, I was telling you this morning, there are several things that God cannot do. Can I tell you one of the ten that he cannot do? He cannot do better. Because he's already perfect. You say, Lord, what's wrong? The Lord says, everything's going along just perfectly. So mark it down. God is perfect. This is a characteristic of God that whatever's going on, he's perfectly in control. He's not just haphazardly. He's not sleeping at the wheel. So, God is absolutely perfect. Number two, as you look at verse one, he continues in, just as we look at Job and it says that he is upright. Let me say it this way. God has no shame. So, if you see me going like this, and I'm sneaking out of the room without anybody noticing, is because I maybe am embarrassed of something. So, but if I'm upright, it means I have nothing to be ashamed of. And believe me, God has nothing to be ashamed of. Everything God has ever done, everything that God has allowed to be done, is right. God has nothing to be ashamed of. I have a ton of stuff to be ashamed of, amen? Leo Varadkar has a ton of stuff to be ashamed of. But God has nothing. He is upright, which means... There's no shame associated with him. As a matter of fact, Paul says to Timothy, he says, don't you be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of me and my suffering. Whatever I'm doing, it's God's business. Let's never be ashamed of God's work. And that's hard for some people to believe because people have a very human view of God. Most people think that, you know, God, he doesn't have it all together. He kind of, God makes some mistakes sometimes but not the God of the Bible. God, thirdly, now this is one, I could spend a month of Sundays on this one. God is terrifying. Do you see that verse there in verse 1? It says, uh, whose name was Job, and that man was perfect, upright, one that what? Feared God. Now, I hope you realize we all will face God one day. That's the one Absolute fact, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Well, who's going to be judging? It's not Mary, it's not Muhammad, it's not Buddha, it's God. So, people used to fear God. When I came to Ireland 25 years ago, I mean, it was, there was a general sense of, of, of the fear of God. Now, it was lopsided because they didn't know the grace of God, they didn't know how to find forgiveness from God, but they had a fear of God. You'd never, you ne- I never heard filthy language out of the older generations. It's coming up in the younger, but there was a fear of God here. But now, almost no one, almost no one fears God. Here's a reality, okay? They stopped teaching the Ten Commandments. They stopped teaching that there's a, a one God. And uh, in schools and religion, I don't know what religion, RE classes, religion education classes now for most kids, but it's probably just airy-fairy stuff. You know what? 
generation after generation have been without God and we're reaping the results of no fear of God. And that's the most dangerous thing. Because um, God is infinite. He he is all-powerful. In one sentence, he created the universe. In one sentence, he created the universe. You and I, if you were to if, if you were to imagine God as the sun, the blazing sun, we are a speck of dust that in the presence of God would be burnt in a heartbeat. You can't argue with God. You can't negotiate. You can't work out a deal with Him. He is God Almighty. And yet most everybody I meet treats Him like a, a distant thought, like a bother. Without the fear of the Lord... Very few people get saved. If you don't see that getting saved is important or necessary, if you don't think that it is imperative that you get saved from the wrath to come, you're not going to get saved. Amen? That's generally true. Go to Jude chapter 1, and let's see. I'm going to ask Patrick, would you read Jude chapter 1, verse 22? If you'll read 22 and 23. <clears throat> and of some have compassion, making a difference, but others save with fear, pouring them out of the fire, eating even the garments fired by the flesh. Okay, some people need compassion because they're just defeated. They're at the bottom. Amen. But almost all others you're going to have to save with what? Fear. With fear. I didn't need to know the love of God. I needed to be told I was going to hell. I had never had anybody tell me, yeah, you'll, 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 you're, you're, um, uh, you're a candidate for going to hell. <laughs> so some will get saved with compassion. But everybody else, they need the fear of God. Matthew 7, 13, Rodell. Matthew 7, 13. Yes. Okay, so describe for me, there are two passageways. One's called the straight or the hard way, the narrow way, and the other one's called the wide, comfortable, easy to go through. Okay, are there many that go in the narrow way? No. How many go in this one, the large way? Many, multitudes. What do they need? Do they need the love of Jesus? They need to be warned. Just on the other side of that door that you're going in is a cliff that leads straight to hell. They need the fear of God. Does that make sense? Second uh, Corinthians five, um, Adelina. Second Corinthians five fourteen. Keep going, verse 13, 15, sorry. Okay. 
Okay, so the love of Christ constrains who? The unsaved or the saved? Constrains us, pressures us, pushes us to go and tell. So the love of Christ is not necessarily for the lost. Now they need to hear about it, but not like they need to hear about the last part of the verse that says, we judge, we conclude that if one died, who died? Jesus. Okay? If he died for all, then all are dead. And that he died for all, and I want to add this in your thought, he died under the wrath of God. He didn't die a natural death. And if he died for all, then they that, that live should not henceforth live unto themselves anymore, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So, What's motivating me is the love of God. What's motivating them is understanding why Jesus died for them, and that's the wrath of God. People need to understand the fear of the Lord. Um, Nita, 2 Corinthians, still in chapter 5, verse 11 now. Now, all the new Bibles when they come with the word fear and stuff, they make reverence, respect. But you cannot water down that verse there. That verse says what hard word? What is it? Knowing the terror of the Lord. And Paul is not saying, you know, God, he's okay. No, no, he's saying, I know how terrifying God is. That makes me want to go and persuade men to get saved. That is what we're missing today because without the fear of the Lord, very few people get saved. Secondly, I want to say this. Without the fear of God, nations self-destruct. Psalm 917. Barry, Psalm 917. Okay, what would possess an entire nation to walk away from the knowledge of God and not want anything to do? An ignorance of the fear of God. Does that make sense? And what do they reap? And what is Ireland reaping? Hell. Every nation that, not that they don't know God, but that they forget him. Forget about that religious stuff. Don't waste your time. So, nations self-destruct without the fear of God. Let me show you something. Go to Exodus 18.21, Marcus. Exodus 18.21. And I'll show you that our judges should make righteous judgment in the fear of the Lord. I read again, and I can't, I cannot, I do not stand in judgment of the judges of Ireland, but I'm sick of them. Because another murderer um, somebody who just slaughtered somebody else was given three and a half years. Three, because they were drunk, because they were incapacitated, they didn't quite know what they were doing. And I thought, I thought that law was done away with. But the point being, that judge who's going to let somebody out of prison in just three and a half years is going to answer to God. Because that is unjust. Uh, Exodus, what did I say? 18 what? 22, no, 21. <clears throat> Say that again? Yes. 
Amen. Amen. People who are in charge ought to have somebody in charge of them that they answer to. Deuteronomy 17, 19, Josiah. Deuteronomy 17, 19. Even kings should learn to fear God. Deuteronomy 17, 19. Okay, I didn't give you the context there. I didn't go back far enough. But this is when you have a king, it shall be with him, meaning the law, the Bible, should be with him, and he shall read therein how many days? Every day of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord. That'd be an okay king, amen? Um, Psalm 36 and verse 1 if I could get Hannes, would you read Psalm 36, 1? So why does a wicked man Transgress. Why does an evil man do wrong? According to that verse. No, it's in the heart of David. David's saying, my heart smites me and says, there's no fear of God. You know, if you, if you fear the Garda, you won't speed. Okay. If you fear, if you ha- if you fear somebody, they may stop you from doing something. But what used to control societies was a fear of God, and that's missing. So nations self-destruct because there's no fear of God in front of their eyes. What's in the front, Hannes? What's in front of the eyes of this generation? Not just disaster, but every. Available sin you could ever want, and it's like you don't have to go looking for it. And so there's no fear of God in front. The best thing that would be on, on, on television, the best thing to be advertised would prepare to meet God. Um, uh, hell enlarges herself. It is not, it is never going to be full. There's more room. Do not go there. That's why we preach. That's why we have churches. If we don't value the preaching of this book, there's no hope for this world because they need somebody who will tell them and get in front of their face and show them the fear of the Lord. Now we show them the love of God as well. Boy, they need the fear of the Lord. Um, let me erase. I'm, I'm gonna <clears throat> Everything that we do as Christians is founded upon the deepest respect for God because we fear crossing Him. Listen, I'm saved from the wrath of God. But you know what? God now is my father and he still catches me. And he still chastens me and I don't want to cross him. Go to Ecclesiastes. Um, Amanda, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. <clears throat> hmm. 
12, 13. Now, I have a lot more to my life than just duty. But that's where I begin. What are the things that I'm supposed to do? Fear God, live according to that book, obey this Bible. Because that's my duty. If I want to do more, that's great. But I start with fearing God. Um, I'm just going to... Uh, Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the love of God. Isn't that what it says? No, in the fear of God. When a wife submits to her husband, it's not because she fears her husband, it's because she fears who? God. When a man submits to authorities over his life, it's not because he fears that authority, it's because he fears God. You know why Christians do right? Not because it's fun. Why do Christians abstain from sex before marriage? Why do Christians not pick up a cigarette? Why do Christians not take that first drink? You know why? Because we fear God. That's the only reason, not because somebody told us not to, but because I don't want to cross him. God gave me this life. I'm not going to throw it away like an Egypt. Um, so let me run through. The fear of God is the smartest any, anyone can ever do. Let me quote this. Behold, Job says this, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is, to, uh, is understanding. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise of them endureth forever. And by the way, Proverbs 16.6 says, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men do what? They depart from evil. They stop sinning. So it is very important that the fear of the Lord be taught. It is the healthy thing. Psalm 19.9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean. Amen. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt you. The fear of the Lord is the most balanced thing ever. We're not talking about where you just can't talk to him and you just want to run from him. But it's that you realize he is God and you don't mess with him. He is right. You better respect him because in a moment, as we see, he can take everything away. Um, boy, I have a lot more. I'm going to have to... Uh, it must be taught. None of us just naturally fear God. It must be accepted. You must learn it. You cannot know God without learning to fear Him. If you have only known about a loving God, you haven't known the whole picture. And the, the, the fear of God actually works backward than we respect because you think the fear of the Lord would make you want to run, but no, the fear, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, the Bible says. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. It's the opposite. So, I want you to go to Proverbs 23, 17, and I'll get Paul. This will be our last verse tonight. Proverbs 23, 17. I want to say, the fear of the Lord. Job is known for fearing God. The fear of the Lord is not something you do on occasion. So, uh, Paul, if you'll read Proverbs 23, 17. 23, 17. Okay. Who is writing Proverbs? Solomon. 
Who is he talking to? Just generally people? Or was he not trying to teach someone? His son. It'd be well that the children were taught this again. But unfortunately, we have to learn it first, don't we? All right. It is a way of life, and it ought to be our way of life. Bill, why why do you not just go drinking on Saturday nights all night long, you know? Well, his, his wife would kill him, I know that. But you know why? What would be your answer? I fear God. He gave me this life, and he can take it away like that, and I'm not going to provoke him. I'm going to try to do right. Amen? See, that's, that's not popular preaching, but that's Bible. All right. We just started. That's just verse 1. But there are more characteristics of God throughout here, and you'll be surprised. Next time we get together, we will look at what God is like. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, thank you for just the brief time looking at a little reflector, a little mirror in the life of Job that reflected you. And, and forgive us, Lord, where we try to be perfect, where we try to, we try to resist temptation. We try to do without actually having our eyes on you. We fail because we only see ourselves and we only see others. Lord, I'm sorry. I pray that our eyes would be on Jesus and on you as our loving Father that is that is perfect. That I should, I should trust because I know you do nothing to be ashamed of. You do not tolerate sin. Neither should I. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us tonight to not just respect you, not just reverence you, which we should, but to actually understand and have an attitude of, I fear God, and that's a good thing. Because you are holy, you are to be feared. Lord, dismiss us with your grace. As we sing here in these last few moments, help us to ponder the fact that This Bible was written not just to tell us about things, but to show us the author. May we just enjoy what we're learning about you, because that will encourage us most of all. In Jesus' name, amen.